0: You are listening to New Covenant Building. Uh When I woke up, my wife shared with me that it would honor her greatly if I would accompany her to Ikea. She let me know that she understands that we can't afford it at this time, so she didn't expect to purchase anything, but she would like for me to take a look at some of the tables that she would be interested in purchasing at some point down the road. And if, if you've ever been to Ikea, then you know that that place can certainly be a real battlefield for the mind. <laughs> now, there's probably a broad spectrum of thought processes with which we can approach Ikea. But I'm going to hone in on the two ends of the spectrum. Okay. On one end of the spectrum, you have the Eeyore approach, the, the the very negative thinking kind of approach, and on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the tiger approach, the, the positive thinking perspective, and our mood at IKEA will be a direct result of the path of thought process that we choose. So, on one hand. Let's let's explain the EOR the, the approach. On one hand, you can have the Eeyore thought process. And it's, it's very negative in nature. So you, you pull into the parking lot and you think, wow, i going to drive around for 15 minutes looking for a spot. I understand why they built that parking garage because <laughs> on Saturdays, it has to accommodate the entire population of Williamson County. <laughs> and you get inside and you see one of your coworkers from work at in Temple, and you think, okay, scratch that. Williamson County plus some residents of Bell County and no doubt <laughs> Travis County too. Oh, great, they they have they have childcare. Oh, but but there's a height restriction between 37 and 50 something inches, so only half of our kids meet the height requirement. Okay, this is this is going to be awesome. So we're checking our children in and there's a time limit please try to limit your shopping to one hour one hour (laughs) one hour okay if there was nobody else in the store and I'm doing a power walk through Ikea at 10 miles an hour I couldn't make it through in an hour because if you stretch out that whole maze it's like at least 12 miles long an hour Really? Okay. All right. And so here we are with our two little ones who don't meet the age requirement, and they're screaming, and they're fussing, and they're complaining. This is boring. This is awesome. This is awesome. And we're not even going to buy anything. Why am I here? This is a waste of time. Now, what kind of a mood will a thought process like that generate? Now on the other hand, we've got the Tigger approach. Thought process goes something like this, it's the weekend and I'm not at work. I am with my best friend in the whole world, my lifelong companion and partner. I get to spend quality time with my partner and I have an opportunity to serve her by doing this, speaking her love language. And yeah, guess what? They've got child care, which means that I only have two of my kids with me. Babe, can you imagine what it would be like with all four? What a blessing. Yeah, might, you know what? My kids might be vocalizing some concerns, some needs, some desires, but I have some beautiful children. What a blessing. And they're communicating with me that they want some attention from me. What an opportunity to show them attention. And guess what? Yeah. I may have to make it there in an hour, but they've given me a map. And on that map, secret passage. <laughs> all Shortcuts. Shh! I can make it. And yes, there may be some very discourteous people. But what an opportunity for me to shine the light of Jesus and be courteous. Because after all, one of my purposes in life, my second purpose in life, is to love my neighbor as myself. What a fine opportunity to live out my purpose. Now what kind of mood do you think that thought process generate. You see the contrast there. You see, with the same set of circumstances, depending on which thought process you go through, your mood can alter drastically. Well, for the past month, we have been discussing depression and some very biblical and practical ways of defeating depression. We discuss the fact that depression is highly emotional, far more emotional than rational, right? And when it comes to our emotions, our feelings, oftentimes those are driven by our thoughts, okay? So the essence of this morning's message has to do with defeating depression with proper thinking simply put you are what you think I am what I think if I think happy thoughts I will be happy if I think depressing thoughts that can certainly lead to depression now I'd like to share with you some famous quotes on thoughts on thinking James Allen, the British-born American essayist, said, You are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. Henry David Thoreau, poet and philosopher, said, Thought is the sculptor who can create the person you want to be. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, said, Our life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. Ralph Waldo Emerson, essayist, lecturer and poet, declared, A man is what he thinks about all day long. You are what you think. Benjamin Disraeli, British politician and author, said, Nurture your mind with great thoughts, for you will never go any higher than you think. William James, eminent philosopher and psychologist, said, Why should we think upon things that are lovely? Because thinking determines life. It is a common habit to blame life upon the environment. Environment modifies life, but does not govern life. The soul is stronger than its surroundings. Last one, by an unknown author. Quote, every thought is a seed. If you plant crab apples, don't count on harvesting golden delicious. Not only do these quotes express some universal truths, some universal precepts about the power of thought, the power of thinking. As we think, so we are. Are we depressed today? Many factors could have contributed to that state of depression. We've discussed several sources of depression in this series. We've looked at the fact that our own transgressions can lead us to a, to a state of depression. We've discussed the fact that when others sin against us, violate the relationship, break trust, that can lead us to a state of depression. Stinky, sour circumstances can lead to a state of depression. This morning, we see that our thoughts can be a very powerful source of depression. The mind can certainly be battlefield. If we are depressed today, our thoughts of the past have taken us here. And our thoughts today can certainly lead us to depression tomorrow. On the other hand, if we're happy today, then the happy thoughts of yesterday have brought us here. And if we're happy tomorrow, the happy thoughts of today are the vehicle by which we travel there. When it comes to our thoughts, we are certainly going to reap what we sow. If you sow happy thoughts, you will reap happiness. If you sow depressing thoughts, you will you will reap depression. We can't change our circumstances all the time, right? There's a lot of times we cannot control our circumstances, but we can control our thinking. We can control the thoughts that go through our mind, our thought patterns, which affects our mood and unchecked sour moods over time can lead us to depression. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale shares in his work, The Power of Positive Thinking, I once met an old man who absolutely bubbled over with radiant happiness. When I asked him what his secret was, he said, why, it's just as plain as the nose on your face. Who talks like that? He said, when I get up in the morning, I realize that I have two choices. Either to be happy or unhappy. And what do you think I do? I'm not dumb. I just choose to be happy. And that's all there is to it. Now that may seem like a superficial response, but I recall that Abraham Lincoln, who nobody could accuse of being superficial, said that people are just about as happy As they have made up their minds to be. Every morning, we likewise have the choice to either declare with Eeyore, Woe is me, everything stinks, look, behold the dark cloud, or to declare with the psalmist, Today is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, behold the dark cloud, but more importantly behold the silver lining. We are what we think. Now on a related note, let's consider some factors that may contribute to our thinking. Okay? Just food for thought since this is about thought, All right? There's some food for thought. Consider the following how might our companionship, how might those with whom we spend our time contribute to our thinking? If we spend a significant amount of time with Negative Nancy, Sad Sue, and uh, you know, De- Downer, Debbie Downer, then <laughs> how can that affect our thinking? Furthermore, consider how might the movies that we watch affect our thinking. How might the music we listen to affect our thinking? How might the blogs that we read affect our thinking? How might the audio books that we listen to affect our thinking? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not going all legalistic on you. I'm, there's no thou shalt nots here. I'm simply pointing out that we should be mindful that those things can give us a mindful. Hmm? Yeah. Simply encouraging you and myself to be good stewards in management of our minds. Now, before we go any further, I want to be clear on what this message is not. Okay, This is not some new ag idea. This is not some name it and claim it word of faith movement type message. And this is not philosophy divorced from or in opposition to the scriptures type message. Okay? <coughs> so let me assure you, this is not this, you know, new agey idea, that idea that, you know, we can create our own reality with the power of our thought that, you know, we can just by thinking certain circumstances we bring them into existence or anything like that. Let's be clear on that. We do not have sovereign control over our circumstances. Furthermore, this is not a name it and claim it word of faith type idea. Okay? That kind of doctrine, that kind of teaching uh, is along the lines of through the power of faith Essentially, I make God my genie in the bottle. And my wish is His command. And I essentially get what I want out of God as long as I just have enough faith. Okay, that's not where we're going with this. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Okay? That, that transforms faith in a sovereign God, a holy God, despite our circumstances, into something that allows us to command God to do what we want in order to meet our desires in our circumstances. And yes, there is a philosophical element to this. Yes, but what have we discussed in here that doesn't touch on philosophy in some way or another? I mean, if you just define the word philosophy it's friend of wisdom or the love of wisdom I mean this is This is not in opposition to the scriptures in any way whatsoever. In fact, as we move further through this message, you'll see that it's right in line with the teachings of Scriptures. But the beauty of what we're talking about this morning is its universal application to both believers and non-believers alike. Okay? If you are a Christian, your thoughts affect your mood. Which affect your emotions, which can lead you into a deep depression. If you're not a Christian, your thoughts affect your mood. And an unchecked mood over time, your emotions can lead you into a deep dark depression. This is true for believers and non-believers alike. This is universal in that sense. So hopefully, I've put you at ease now in the fact that this is, again, not a word of faith, not new age. Not philosophy divorced from the scriptures, but in conjunction with the scriptures. Now we we discussed this last week. We talked about this last week when we looked at Job. We looked at the story of Job and we saw that Job had some pretty sour circumstances. He suffered a great loss. But Job was an upright man who feared God and shunned evil. So we saw that Job had holy habits. And his godly pre-actions led to godly reactions. So when he was met with sour circumstances, his response was to fall on his face and worship the Lord and to declare, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then after he was Inflicted with painful sores from head to toe and his wife gave him just amazing counsel to just curse God and die, his response was, talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good at the hand of God and not trouble as well? And then, there's a period of seven days in which Job sat in silence. But then Job broke the silence in chapter 3 By declaring that he wished he had never been born. We see that somewhere in that span of seven days, somewhere in that silence, something changed because apparently Job descended down the staircase into a deep, dark depression, cursing the day of his birth. What happened in those seven days? What changed? It wasn't his circumstances. His circumstances were the same. I propose to you that his thinking changed. That he was no longer meditating upon the precepts of truth that he declared in chapters 1 and 2, but somewhere along the way, his thinking shifted from God-centered to self-centered. Worshipful, God-honoring, biblical thoughts lead to an emotional state of worship. Whereas self-centered, depressing thoughts lead to a state of self-centered depression. You are what you think. Now, one of the most frequently cited verses with respect to this precept is Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, which says, as he thinks in his heart or soul, so he is. Now, most of the times, you can grab a proverb, and it stands alone. As a precept. Well, this one actually has some context to it, and in the context, this is speaking about sitting down to dine with a man who says, "Go ahead, eat, have your fill," but he's thinking in his heart all the while about the cost. And, and, and the verse is essentially stating, "Hey, he may be declaring one thing with his lips, but it's not really what he's about. What he's about is what's going on in here." And in Hebrew thought. The mind and the heart are connected. The heart is where the thought takes place. And so, just as Jesus declared about his generation, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What's going on in here is what matters. As you think in your heart, so you truly are. You are what you think. And we find another encouraging example in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, in which Paul mentions taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Now, the context of uh, what Paul is saying there has to do with demolishing strongholds, demolishing arguments, and um, you know, arguing against every pretense that sets itself up against Christ. It has to do with right thinking right theology about Jesus Christ in light of the gospel. Okay? Conforming one's mind, one's thinking to theological truth, orthodoxy. Now, once again this precept emerges of the importance of one's thought. Okay? Right thinking with regard to doctrine is important. Right thinking with regard to theology is important, but so also is right thinking when it comes to practical living. While we may not be able to control our circumstances, we can certainly control our thoughts. And we have the ability and, in my opinion, the responsibility to manage our thoughts well, to be good stewards of our mind. And so when we find our emotions trying to lead our thinking astray, we must take those thoughts captive, make them obedient, and conform them to the truth. Right thinking, right theology, orthodoxy, as well as orthopraxy, right living, right practice. So how specifically does the Bible direct us with regard to guiding our thought life? Well, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What an amazing exhortation. Now, we might be tempted to think, all right, Paul. Hey, easy to say, coming from you, Mr. Apostle of Jesus Christ. (laughs) But seriously, consider the book of Philippians. Consider the historical context. Consider where Paul was when he penned this letter. He was in prison. Because he got caught stealing? No. Because he got caught breaking the law, doing something? No. No not for doing something wrong, but for doing everything right, for doing the most right thing he could possibly do by fulfilling the commission that Jesus Christ had given him to go and preach the gospel, unveil the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. He was in prison for doing the right thing. Now put yourself in Paul's position. I mean, he had... I mean, objectively speaking, that man had a reason to be depressed. I mean, think about it. Here I am in prison. It's what I get for doing the right thing. But Paul writes this letter that has been termed the epistle of joy. I mean, if you survey the book of Philippians, I mean, go home and read it today. It's four chapters. You can read it just ten minutes. But count the number of times that you read about joy and rejoicing in that letter. And he's writing from prison. And he's there for doing the right thing. So, if anybody knows the power of proper thinking, of holy, healthy, and happy thoughts, it's Paul. If anybody understands that you are what you think, it's Paul. If anybody understands how to defeat depression through proper thinking, it is Paul the Apostle. I mean, this exhortation. It's profound. It is powerful. At times, we can find our minds being convinced of these untruths, of these falsehoods, of these twisted thoughts that are so far from the truth. Therefore, since those thoughts can lead to negative emotions, which can lead us into depression, it's important to constantly refute those thoughts with the truth. Take those thoughts captive and make them obedient, rather than allowing those negative thoughts to impact our soul and lead us astray. And we should think on the things that Paul lists, things that are true and right and noble, pure, lovely, excellent, admirable and praiseworthy. Those are the things upon which we should set our minds. Those are the things that we should think about. Consider some of the following distortions that our mind can present to us. There's that one where you you walk in and you notice that your husband did the laundry and the dishes and then you you open the dishwasher and see that he didn't empty it and put the Tupperware in the wrong shelf. And so rather than seeing all of the wonderful things that he did for you, looking at that little speck, that one little blemish, that's filtering your thoughts, narrowing the scope of your thoughts down and honing in on the negative as opposed to seeing all of the positive. With that kind of thought process, is is that lovely? Is that admirable? Is that excellent and praiseworthy? Thinking on that which is lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy would be saying, wow, my husband. What a wonderful man. He took the time to do the dishes, the laundry. Wow. And then there's polarized thinking. This, this whole... There's either black or there's white. There's no in between. If you're not perfect, you're a failure, right? I can't do anything right. I messed up this one thing. The reality is, I messed up this one thing. But in my mind, what is my thought process? I'm the world's biggest failure. I'm just. A, I can't do anything right. Is that? in line with how Paul has encouraged believers to think? Is that true? Is that right? Or is that a thought that we must take captive and transform and conform to the truth? No, 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 self. You're not the world's biggest screw-up. You've done one thing wrong. Learn from that mistake and move forward. You are what you think. Nobody is perfect, and one mess up doesn't make you a complete failure. Then there's the catastrophic mindset, the gloom and doom mindset. Everything's going to go wrong. If I touch this, it's going to break. Has it? Failed yet, yeah, but I know, it's about to. I can just see it. It's on the verge. Then there's personalization, where you make everything about you. She wore that perfume because she knows that it gives me a headache. I can't believe she did that. He brought his dog because he knows that I'm allergic to dogs. That jerk can't believe him. She's sitting next to him because she knew that it would make me jealous. She knows I have a crush on him. <laughs> if this is you, you're so vain, you probably think this sermon's about you. <laughs> Are those thoughts noble? <coughs> Are they admirable? Are they excellent? Are they praiseworthy? Or are those thoughts that we must take captive and conform to the truth and preach to ourselves? He brought his dog because he's going to be gone for a long time and he couldn't get anybody to go by and dog sit. She wore that perfume but she may have forgotten that it gives me a headache. Maybe I didn't even tell her. I should stop making everything about me. That's kind of self-centered. I need to change my thinking because as we think, so we are. Then there's the blame game where I'm in pain so I either blame somebody else or I blame myself. Either way, nobody wins. Is that thinking noble? Is that in line with the type of thinking that Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has exhorted you and I to practice? Or is that a thought process that we need to take captive, make obedient, lest it lead us astray and drive us into despair, sorrow, depression? Then there's legalism. There's all these rules and everybody has to obey them. And if I don't obey them, if I break one of these rules, then I'm ashamed of myself. And that just leads into a downward spiral into a state of despondency and a pit of despair. And then if somebody else breaks the rules, then I'm just mad and angry because they're not living up to the standard. I am, but they're not. And either way, nobody wins there either. Is that type of thinking right? Is it theologically accurate under the New Covenant? Is it noble? Is it... is it praiseworthy is this type of thinking in line with the type of thinking that we have been called to as followers of Jesus then there's jumping to conclusions your friend hasn't called for a while so obviously she hates you BFF status totally gone it's over friendship is over is that right is that true Probably not. Maybe she's busy. Have you called her? These are thoughts that we must take captive and make obedient unto the truth and conform to reality. Then there's emotional reasoning. Reason. My emotions dictate reality. I feel ugly, therefore, I'm ugly. Then there's the rewards-based reasoning. I work hard. I make sacrifices. I'm a good person. Therefore, I deserve to be consistently rewarded for that. And if I don't get rewarded when I expect to, then I'm angry and bitter. I mean, I'm doing good over here. God owes me. Is that thinking true? Noble? Right? Theologically accurate? Is it admirable, lovely, excellent, and phrase-worthy? No. Does God owe us anything? for walking in righteousness when these cognitive distortions surface in the battlefield of the mind we are to take these thoughts captive be transformed in our thinking by the renewing of our minds And whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy these please are the things that we should think about. Much of our unhappiness comes from our own thinking. You are what you think. Happy thoughts lead to happiness. Depressing thoughts lead to depression. While we can't necessarily control our circumstances, we can and should control our thoughts. Our thought life dictates our mood our emotions and can lead us into a state of depression if unchecked over time. But we can defeat depression if we cultivate positive thinking, which generates a positive mood. Happy, holy, and healthy thinking, positive thoughts are a powerful antidepressant that can catapult us out of a state of despondency mm-hmm. and give us victory over depression. Let's pray.